Welcome Christian Hartford, head athletic performance coach, USA Beach Volleyball, but most of all, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. (laughs) I appreciate you you doing this. Um, How have you been? I've been great. I've been great. It's uh, making the best of the quarantine. Yeah. yeah, it's not a bad not a bad place to be caught up in a house in Southern California. So <laughs> not, not at all. Yeah, not at all. You don't miss Maryland, huh? Uh, I miss people. I miss the people in Maryland. Sure, good, pe- great. I, I mean, great people. For those of you who don't I, know, I don't. oh, <laughs> great, I mean, hey, there's something people. about there's something about East Coast people that uh, you know people <laughs> out may not understand. That's why I still rock the Pennsylvania hat. <laughs> there it is, <laughs> man. Um, yeah, that's good. So uh, we've known each other for a little bit, and, and obviously I wanted to have you on here because I'm, um, first of all, uh, very influenced by you and, and your beliefs and how you've kind of climbed the ranks. And I think where you're at now is very well earned for sure. So congrats to you. You're going to do uh, big things, pal. Big things. Thanks, man. Appreciate that. Um, so I'm going to start this off by saying um, – you know, some, some advice for, for younger coaches. Cause you know, just not a traditional format because I think some, some kids going to click on this and be like, well, you know, what the hell is this? And then they're going to say, mm-hmm. um, not very interested. Maybe who knows, maybe their, um, their attention span doesn't last very long. Yeah. Um, so I want to, <laughs> I want, and I, yeah, I'm going to start maybe with something that, um, you know, could give them a little bit more information, um, I mean, what they should do is listen to the whole damn thing, <laughs> but you know, probably not. They'll probably, uh, get distracted, but what advice would you give to interns, GAs, you know, even like a senior and undergrad who's, who might want to make a career out of strength conditioning? Yeah, well, honestly, I think one of the main things is, and it has to do with listening to the entirety of a podcast episode is have patience, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Be patient. It's um, it's it's kind of funny. I, I found with some young coaches, uh, and myself, I got caught up in this as well. But we train athletes, and we always ask athletes to trust in the process. But then coaches sometimes don't trust in the career process, and they get carried away. Of you know, I have to make money now, or I want to chase the logo and and yeah. go to this big program and that big program. So they're more destination oriented uh, than the actual process oriented. And I think that was actually what helped me a lot was realizing, okay, there's a ladder to climb in this profession uh, and you're going to have to climb that ladder. And if you want to climb it fast, then you have to be really patient with where you're at at every given time. So I, like I said, I would say the number one thing is just know that it's a long journey and it's not an easy journey. Uh, and trust the process and trust in yourself to make it through that. Um, and like, I mean, we all know that at some point in time, you're going to have to work unpaid, right? Which is not attractive, especially if you're coming out with student debt or uh, if you're just coming out of graduate or a graduate school or an undergraduate school and you want to make some money, but it's, it's part of what you have to do. So, uh, you know, whenever I was at an unpaid intern, my first thought was, okay, what's next, right? Like, in, in a good way, not like, oh, I want to get out of here, but like, yeah. okay, I have a four-month unpaid internship, and that's the longest I want to work unpaid, right? So how am I going to get to that next step, right? So, you know, making sure that you, you're seeing the bigger picture of, of everything, and you're seeing that career ladder, 
and you're saying, all right, I'm going to climb this thing, but I'm going to, I got to do it patiently and I got to trust the process and stay grounded. Right. Cause like I said, you know, everyone wants to go get that 50,000 a year job at a power five school, but those are few and far between. So you got to stay patient with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay to have um, self-respect as a volunteer intern too. <laughs> you know, don't, yeah. don't, just, don't just be like, damn, man, they really, they really, really want me here. Uh, maybe I'll stay another year unpaid. <laughs> yeah, like, no, exactly. That's you it. know, you hard, oh, like, work hard. Yeah. I mean, earn, earn that money. Right. But like, you know, understand, you know, and that's why I've told so many interns that I've had, if I asked like, Hey, you know, what, what's your plan after this? Oh, I think I'm going to go, you know, from Olympic sports into football for another year of an unpaid internship. I'm like, when are you going to stop working for free, dude? Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, you know, and if you capitalize on the time that you, that you work for free, then you shouldn't have to do it for too long. Right. right. You should, you should be able to take that next step, you know? Sure. So yeah, like you said, have that self-respect and have that self-awareness to say, okay, I'm, you know, I'm going to be an apprentice for a little bit, and then I'm going to eventually get enough skill and learn enough and uh, turn it into my own system where I can take the next step and then start coaching athletes by myself, right? right. <laughs> not not right. always just being the setup and breakdown guy. And right. I would say that that's a big thing that uh, that I've seen a lot of coaches and. I think I was a little better at kind of knowing who I was as a coach, right? And actually knowing more about yourself because I feel like a lot of coaches try to be their mentor, right? Like try to replicate exactly what they do and act like those mentors do. And they, they fail to bring their own coaching style to right. the floor. And I think that's a really important thing is knowing who you are as a coach and who you want to be as a coach and being able to, to learn from all these various people and all these various sources and podcasts and books and conferences and seminars and coach A, coach B, coach C, but then filtering that into making it your own thing, right? Your, your yeah. own personality, your own coaching identity. I think that's the most important thing because you, you can't be other coaches, right? I mean, Absolutely. you can learn from them, but you can't be other coaches. So you, I think as a young coach, you really have to find out quickly, okay, what works for you, right? right. If, you're not a, if you're not a yeller and a screamer, then you're not a yeller and a screamer, right? If you are that energy juice guy and you're not this cerebral mad scientist that's cranking out force plate data and, you know, you know, building Excel spreadsheets in your sleep, then that's right. okay. Like, that's not yeah. you. <laughs> you know, like yeah. you got to figure out your identity and you got to work with that and you got to make the most of that. What if you're like a, like a men's health kind of guy, you get all your workouts for men's health and just try and run that in your weight room. Is that doable? Yeah, I would just say leave the profession. <laughs> Man, you're different reasons. Unless it's unless it's Don Saldino. I like Don, I, I like Saldino a lot. He's a good guy. <laughs> Don. Hey Don. I think, he's with, I think he's with muscle and fitness, so maybe that's a little better. <laughs> and um I think uh Tuminello, Nick Tuminello, I think's written some stuff for uh for men's health. Yeah. Well, I mean there's definitely definitely good sources out there, but if you're just taking that and giving it to an athlete. <laughs> yeah. You know that page, those pages in men's health like, in the middle where it like unfolds and you have like like a whole workout plan. <laughs> you just go to the yeah. whiteboard and you're just like pin it up and you're like, All right, everyone gather around. As long as you can avoid that, then you'll be good. Yeah. I think, um, and the athletes know too, the athletes know, cause as an intern, uh, don't expect to get a ton of respect from, from the athletes. Cause you know, you're, you're their age essentially, right. You're not yeah. too far off. And, 
um, and that's okay. But the athletes will also know whether you're trying to imitate your mentor or, or, you know, the other guy, um, you know, and then they'll really know once you like shave male pattern bottomness into your head and they're like, Whoa, (laughs) you know, he's really trying to be that guy. (laughs) Yeah. 100%. And and that that brings up a really good point, dude. Athletes are a lot smarter than some strength and conditioning coaches make them out to be as far as their awareness to the energy and the mood that a strength coach comes in with. Right. Mm -hmm. They know if you're BSing. I mean, they, they can see through that right away. So that's, that's why I think it's, I think it's very, very important for a young coach to self-identify with who they are and what kind of coach they want to be and be that consistently, no matter what, you know, don't have these multiple personalities. So that's, that that can really bring you down real quick in, in this field. Yeah, and it could also land you into a uh, mental hospital too. Multiple. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like oh, I think something's wrong with that intern over there. <laughs> yeah. Is he doing all right today? <laughs> it's like eyes shifting. <laughs> um, so, so why did why did you get in the field? So it's you. You know, you said you did a little little better job of knowing who you were early on. So, um, why did you get into the field of strength conditioning? I know you were a collegiate football player at wake Did yeah any- i uh yeah so i actually got hurt uh in college i only played a year uh at wake forest and then the rest of my time i was around the strength and conditioning room and uh coach ethan reeve down there who was a big mentor of mine um and i, I know this was in the list of questions so i'll just kind of blend it right now of uh part of my way of staying involved with the team as well as making a little bit of money in undergrad was becoming a student athletic trainer which was a hourly pay work study job because I was an exercise science major so that kept me around the program kept me around athletics Um, and my big interest came because I I couldn't figure out my shoulder thing right I had three torn labrums uh, Mm. two in high school and then the third one my freshman year of college and I just you know, before that, it was kind of like, okay, I'm going to do the rehab that people tell me to do. And then I'm going to come back and do the, you know, return to throw protocols that people tell me to do. But I never really knew like why, uh, why that it was the way it was. So after that third torn labrum, that's when I really started to take an interest in the human body of like, okay, why is my shoulder acting like this, right? How can I make it better? And I think I also hit this point where since I wasn't doing the football regimented strength and conditioning sessions anymore, I was kind of like, all right, well, what am I going to do now in the gym? Right. So kind of, uh, went down this rabbit hole of, you know, reading a ton. And, uh, honestly back then it was T nation was the number one resource, right? So you're on there and you're reading articles and trying to figure out, you know, just learn some stuff, figure out the best programs for you. And, I was going back and forth between the uh, Wake Forest athletic weight room and the student gym uh, for my own workouts. Uh, Luckily, I was able to still use the Wake Forest weight room, which was awesome. So that's when I really was able to kind of dive into the programming of what football is doing. You know, Ethan Reeve was a very, very good programmer. I mean, we ran a super efficient weight room then. Uh, That's when I learned more about his density training style. Uh, That's when I got a little more proficient with Olympic lifting and I could actually dive into a little bit, which was fun. Um, And I was able to, you know, just 
commit myself to that path. So I ended up going into exercise science as my major at Wake Forest. It was a liberal arts school. So it was two years of general studies, writing seminars, reading seminars, sociology, philosophy, religion classes, along with the basic sciences. And in the last two years is when you commit to your major. Uh, so kind of dove in uh, exercise science the last two years. And that's when obviously I, I didn't want to go you know, a lot of my classmates were going to PA school or PT school or getting ready for med school and all that. I didn't really want to do that because I, I wasn't that into school, right? Like I didn't want to have an extra, you know, three to four years of an education. Yeah. I was like, you know, I want to be around athletics. That's what I love. I want to help athletes because as a former athlete myself that didn't really have a good structure of strength and conditioning in high school. And then I was so raw coming into it in college. I was like, you know, I just think that strength and conditioning is what I want to do because I want to be able to use knowledge to give athletes, especially younger athletes, what I didn't have or what I felt I didn't have. Right. So that's what led me into wanting to be a strength and conditioning coach and not go down the classic, you know, academic route or PA school or med school, like I said. Um, so that's what led to the Penn State internship. That was my first strength and conditioning based internship. Uh, I did about a month and a half up there with uh, John Thomas and Gus Felder. Those were the main guys. And Jeremy Scott, who I know all three of those guys are still in the profession. Um, and that was fun, man. That, that, was, a, that was a unique experience um, because, you know, throughout the whole thing, right, Wake Forest was ran one way. And I thought that, that was just kind of how you ran a weight room, right? It was efficient. Uh, it was large groups, right? It was, you know, the offense, then the defense, or maybe it was the starters and then the reserves, right? And then you kind of just split your groups up that. And then I went to Penn State and they were training in groups of like six to eight athletes at a time, every hour on the hour. Wow. Because they were doing the old school high intensity training method, very machine based program. Uh, you know, you start with your neck strengthening with manual resistance, and then you go into some core, and then you hit all your lower body, and then you hit all your upper body, and then you end with conditioning. And it was, you know, it was three sets of eight, and then the last set to failure, and then on to the next exercise. Three sets of eight, last set to failure. Now, granted, I was there in May and June uh, after their semester, so it was kind of their first block of summer training. So, uh, you know, I think that I was seeing a lot more high volume stuff than they usually probably did. And obviously right. in season uh, and whatnot, but that was, that was a good experience because I was able to be very hands-on with the athletes, right? Mm -hmm. uh, after probably about three weeks, they would let me take, you know, two athletes together at a time, you know, maybe some of the freshmen, some of the lower yeah. maintenance athletes, which was right. good. But then the cool part there was they made me do every single workout. So, you know, say we would have athletes from 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. And then from 10 to 11, all of the interns would have to do the lift together. And that was hard, man. <laughs> that, was, yeah. that was hard. I mean, it was, it was a lot, like I said, it was a lot of volume. It was high reps. It was working till failure. It was versa climber conditioning. Oh, it was, they even made me do the running test. So the running test was, uh, <laughs> I had to do the quarterback running test. It was, you start, I think, at six and a half. Uh, speed for two minutes and then seven, seven and a half, eight, eight and a half, nine, nine and a half, all of those speeds for two minutes and you have to make it all the way through. Good Lord. So yeah, it was just constant running. Well, I think that was 14 minutes of, of constant running, increasing the pace by a half mile an hour every single two minutes. And I had a towel over the treadmill monitor and I had Gus Felder sitting there just putting the speed up every two <laughs> minutes. And I was like, oh, 
luckily I passed. I, I passed the run test the first try, so I didn't have to do it again, which was wow. good. But uh, that, that was a real, real hard crash course into, into college strength and conditioning. Yeah. And, you know, at, at the end of it, you know, during my review, uh, I remember Gus told me, he was like, you, you're, like, you're going to be all right in this profession because you're a go-getter. You know, it was one of those things where if the volume is slow and I don't have anything to do, grab the spray bottle, clean the equipment, right? right. Like, don't even wait for them to ask. Um, just do it, right? Just kind of watch what the coaches do and watch what the interns that have been there for a while, the graduate assistants that have been there for a while, what are they doing? And then do that times 10. Right? Yeah. Just put a, a lot more effort into it. Uh, the simple stuff, show up early, you know, stay late and kind of commit yourself to that, to that lifestyle for, for that period of time. Um, and then I remember one of the best pieces of advice Gus gave me, he told me this was his criticism to me was, you know, every, when, I, when I'm talking to you, you keep saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like after every sentence that I say, he goes, that is so annoying. You have no idea. <laughs> I was like, I was like, well, no one's ever told me that. And I've never thought of that. He was like, yeah. So when someone's talking to you, especially an athlete, if an athlete's talking to you, just shut your mouth and listen until they're done talking. Right. I was like, that's a good, that's a good, that's really good advice. And, you know, later, later on down the line, you hear the, the classic line, you, you know, you have two ears and one mouth for a reason. And right. I'm like, yeah, I think back then I thought I had eight mouths and one ear. So <laughs> I was that was a good experience. But like I said, so that, that kind of solidified by, okay, this is definitely what I want to do. Right? I, want, yeah. I want to be a, a strength conditioning coach. So I graduated from Wake Forest, actually got a job in Charlotte at a private gym in Charlotte, North Carolina called United States Performance Center. It sounds like it would be a, a Olympic training center. It was not. <laughs> it was just, <laughs> it was a really, really good name that I don't know how it wasn't taken yet, <laughs> but, they, yeah. but they used you it. <laughs> That was the, that. That was another crash course. Um, that was actually so. Going back to advice for young coaches, being patient. I was not patient at first at all. Uh, I actually went after undergrad. I went back to Pittsburgh to be, you know, live live at home with my parents, and I started the master's program at Pitt uh, in human performance. And so I did a semester there, and it was good. It was a good program, good classes. I was actually working at a farmer's market in the morning and then I would go to class and or I was working at my aunt's chiropractic office just to make a little bit of money and then go to class in the afternoon. But when I got my first tuition bill, that's when I was like, I can't do this myself. Like I, (laughs) I can't just keep spending money on tuition. I gotta, I gotta start making money. So I took this job down in Charlotte uh, for a yearly salary, which was good. I mean, it was a very small yearly salary, but <laughs> moved down there and it was a startup gym. So there were only four of us working there at the time. It was about a 11,000 square foot facility though. So it was big. It wow. was, it was, yeah, it was really big. And uh, we had some really good investors or the owners had some really good investors. Uh, so we had you know all the equipment that we were putting in ourselves and we were building the speaker systems and doing the wiring for the lighting and all the wiring for the TVs and everything. So that was a crash course in entrepreneurship right there. Absolutely. And then it was also a good coaching experience because I was working with athletes as young as like eight years old, right? That we just wanted to play games and keep them active after school and stuff. And then we were working with adults as old as 70 years old, right? Where we were kind of doing some for lack of a better term, geriatric work. I mean, we, we were all outfitted with Kaiser, obviously, you know, that's kind of how Kaiser got their start was working with the older population because it was better for the joints. So right. that was a really, really good experience, but I just kind of missed college athletics. 
Uh, so that's when I ended up getting the internship back at Michigan. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you've, <clears throat> I mean, you went from going to back to back top football programs, you know, experiencing it yourself because Penn state made you <laughs> run through all of that, you know, all that, which is yeah. imperative, right? It's imperative. You, you never want to give an athlete an exercise or a program or any training parameter that you haven't experienced yourself. Right. So exactly. I mean, that's yep. kind of like a golden rule. So um, experience that. Then another thing that I, that I'm experiencing currently going from college to, to private is you experience the private sector, which mm-hmm. Um, you know, you saw the importance in that. And then if very real, if you want to start your own gym, you better learn how to put together some racks and you better learn how to, you know, how to do wiring and sound and all that other stuff, you know, um, talk to me about Michigan. How was that? That was awesome. That was, uh, that was the best experience I could ask for. And honestly, going back to our conversation earlier, uh, as a young coach, knowing your identity, kind of knowing what you want to do. And I always got the question, oh, well, you played college football. Why did you get into Olympic sports? Because I was actually, it was either Michigan Olympic sports or Ohio State football internship. Mm. And I mean, obviously, all the respect to Ohio State football, it's one of the best, you know, top three programs in the country, hands down. But I just, I didn't, even as a former football player, I didn't identify with the football strength coaches. And I wanted a much broader experience. I wanted to work with more athletes besides just football players. And so that, that's what was awesome about Michigan. And I was working with everyone from gymnastics to volleyball to track and field to water polo, swimming and diving, ice hockey, help, you know, I would go over and work with basketball a little bit or just help, you know, go observe those sessions. It was a different facility, but lacrosse, men's and women's. So it was this huge experience and uh, wide variety of athletes, which was so much fun. And also it was a, it was a very regimented intern curriculum, right? So we had uh, different lectures from all the different coaches every single week. We had different assignments every single week. We had our programming assignments. We would go GPP phase, basic strength, max strength, power, and then in season. So five different programs throughout that we would have to st- uh, stand up in front of the entire staff, you know, and, and give those presentations of why are we doing this? And then, you know, kind of get peppered with questions. So that was the best experience I could ask for. And also there were only two of us, uh, two of us interns. So with only two interns, you get a lot of work in, right? So, you know, it's, it was very uh, quick before they said, Hey, well, we need you to take those two athletes by yourself, right? Like those, you know, this is what they're doing. Go coaching. And it was kind of like, Oh, okay. That sounds good. (laughs) You know? So by the end of that, I was able to actually write programs for some of the younger athletes that were maybe, uh, you know, freshmen that were just reserves that could get a little more volume than the actual starters or the rest of the team or, excuse me, you know, work with the athletic trainer and the strength coach to develop a return to participate protocol and, and take an athlete through that. So it, it was a very hands-on experience. It, it was, uh, like I said, a wide variety of athletes uh, from all different sports, all different genders. Uh, and it, like I said, it was just kind of that crash course into, you know, Penn State was that very good learning experience and introduction to everything as far as just the profession. Michigan was that introduction to actually being a coach, right? To actually writing the programs, implementing the programs, communicating with an athlete as best as you can. And then also the dynamics of a staff, right? Uh, Knowing that you're the lotus on the totem pole, (laughs) right? Knowing how to, hey, you got to make the coffee, you got to clean the equipment, you got to do this, you got to do that. But then also, 
uh, utilizing that structure to really learn from everybody, right? Ask a ton of questions to the point where it kind of got annoying for people, but it was like, Hey, you know, like, yeah, this is, this is why, this is why I'm here, you know, and, and making sure that you're asking a lot of questions and, and really taking advantage of that experience. Yeah. That's a, and, and everyone knows, I mean, uh, Michigan Olympic, um, strength conditioning sports performance is, is phenomenal always has been. Yeah. Um, and so it sounds like they did a great job of understanding where you were coming from in terms of Penn state and everything you experienced there. And then they still decided to just kind of build up on, on what maybe they felt like your strengths were going to be, but it's, it's important to be thrown into the fire too. Right. Oh yeah. You um, have to be, have to be. Yeah. You just don't want to be holding clipboards all the time. You know, if you, if you're just holding clipboards and, and just breaking down lifts and, and cleaning up and stuff, you're, you're pretty much like a custodian who also records data. <laughs> just like, yeah. You know, and that's seven, yeah, you're exactly right. And, and the good, the good thing about that type of stuff is too, you're exposing yourself to failure, right? Like my programs that I presented to the staff weren't good, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and, and they had to get called out with that. And I remember sure. I had to run a warm up for men's soccer one time in the weight room, a weight room warm up, And I had, it, it was completely free will. Was, he was like, Hey, write your warm up. you know, don't go too far off the structure that we usually do with our teams, but do it. And I remember afterwards, uh, it was coach Jason Cole, you know, sat me down and he was like, the content of the warm up was good, but the implementation sucked. Like you had no energy. <laughs> he, goes, he goes, and he said, he was like, you have more energy when you come in and at six in the morning and it's just us sitting here. Right. Like what happened? I was like, honestly, I got nervous, man. <laughs> right? like, I'm 23 years old at the time, you know, over, just turned 24. And all of a sudden someone's like, okay, you're running the warm up today. And I'm like, Oh God. All right. You know? And so again, you know, we, we brought it up earlier, but trusting the process, right. Knowing that it's going to be this long journey. Like I, like I was a good intern, right. But I wasn't a good coach then. Right. Like my thing was I learned and I put myself in positions where I was allowed to fail and allowed to suck. And then therefore allowed to learn from that and become better from that. So that was, you know, Jason Cole, Bo Sandoval was there, Mike Favor, Ashley Jackson, Portiazzo, uh, Kate Haycock, like this staff was unbelievable Man. at giving, giving you opportunities to fail and then being like, okay, well, this is how you can be better. <laughs> yeah. You know, so that, that part was great. Yeah. That's imperative. It's imperative for, I mean, it's also good. You just don't want to, you also don't want to step on interns or, or, or just kind of shatter the dreams yeah. of young coaches either, because, and I'm not saying, you know, you're nurturing them 24 seven, you obviously learned, I learned, a lot of other coaches learned the hard way, but um, there was always constructive criticism behind it, which just yeah. fueled your fire to get a little better. You will be annoying asking questions, right? You will always 100%. be annoying. And you are going to do some cringy stuff in terms of you yeah. may think it's a great idea. Like I remember, I remember I was an intern, when I was interning at Frostburg and I was helping out men's basketball. And I walk in uh, Kyle, Kyle Linhart, my mentor and my uh, best friend, <laughs> he, uh, <laughs> he was at his office and I would just always, you know, be like, Hey, Kyle, <laughs> just kind of knocking on his door all the time. And I was like, yep. okay, I have a really good idea. Right. <laughs> what if I take this med ball? Right. And I go up to the basketball court and I make them do layups with it. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like he Did he ask you to go try it out? <laughs> yes, exactly. 
Uh, why, why don't you go try that out? Let me know how it goes. <laughs> you know something? That just might work. <laughs> and so, so, and I come back and I was like, hey, um, you knew it wasn't going to work, didn't you? <laughs> he, was like, <laughs> he was like, it was a really dumb idea, but yeah. I like where your mind's going, you know, you're putting two, to two together. So that's going to be really, really important um, for you to just, just do really embarrassing things in terms of programming and just implementing. Uh, man, just so many um, cringy things I did in learning. Um, after so after after Michigan and correct me if I'm wrong, but you you obtained a graduate assistantship right at Northwestern. I did, yeah. So I uh, I brought up that Pitt thing, you know, that one semester at yeah, Pitt yeah. where I got that tuition bill. And so what part of my thing with uh, that's what made I, me while thinking. I was at yeah while I was at Michigan was okay. I want to become a graduate assistant one because that's the next step in the career ladder, right? You you want to go from intern to GA, you get your master's, that increases your chances of getting a full time job. After that, uh, you're allowed to coach, kind of have your own teams, which is good. Uh, but I kind of had this mindset of like, I just don't want to pay for tuition, right? Like I want my master's degree, but I really don't want to get into any more student debt. So. I would say one of the biggest lessons I, I learned from my own experience uh, and that I tell a lot of other uh, interns, because graduate assistantships are not easy to get, right? Mm -hmm. And everyone's like, oh, you went straight from four months there and, and, uh, and a graduate assistantship at Northwestern. How did you do it? Honestly, when I started in Michigan in January, and I obviously I know the timeline of admissions, right? It's usually if you want to start in the fall, it's usually January or February. Right. Yeah. So once I, once I started at Michigan, uh, I immediately emailed every other school in the big 10 and said, Hey, this is who I am. I'm an intern at Michigan. I'm interested in getting a graduate assistant position after this. Um, you know, I, I think before that at the time, I think maybe a year ago before that I took the GRE just to have it on the resume, right? Because, uh, I wanted to get into Penn state graduate school and all these different graduate programs that require the GRE. So, you know, I said, Hey, I'm an intern. I, I already have my GRE scores. I'm interested in getting a master's in kinesiology or exercise science while being a strength coach. And literally any contact I could get in the big 10, I sent that email out to everyone with my resume attached. Wow. A lot of schools responded, you know, I remember Michigan State said, hey, we actually just restarted our program, you know, it's a two-year cycle, so we're not going to have positions for two years, and that was the story with a lot of the schools, uh, and that was the story at Michigan, actually, you know, they had two GAs that were on a two-year program, and it was at the end of year one, right, so that's not going to cycle over for another year, but then Northwestern responded and said, hey, actually, uh, you know, we're at the end of our cycle. Our GAA is up uh, in June after the semester. So keep your eye out for the posting. It'll be on CSCCA uh, and just apply whenever you see it. I was like, awesome. This is great. So I, uh, you, have to, you have to apply to school first, right? And then you can get considered for the job. So I applied to school. I ended up getting into the Master's of Sports Administration program because they don't have exercise science or kinesiology at Northwestern. So I got into that and then uh, got considered for the job. And I remember my brother was living in Chicago at the time. He was, oh, he was there for years. So um, I actually drove from Michigan one weekend to visit him. And I reached out to the guys at Northwestern, the staff at Northwestern. And I said, hey, I'm going to be in town visiting my brother. Uh, I know I just submitted my application, uh, but if 
it's okay if I stop by, you could put a face to the name. I could just kind of see your setup and just introduce myself. And they're like, yeah, come on by. That's no problem at all. So uh, <laughs> I went way extra and I was wearing a shirt and tie <laughs> and, a, and a nice coat for just like a casual introduction. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so I walked My name in. is Christian Hartford. <laughs> yeah. They were like, they were like, Oh, uh, you're dressed up. I was like, yeah, I, you know, well, wanted to give you guys a good first impression. Right. So, <laughs> um, so long story short, I ended up getting the job there and moved to Chicago <laughs> for two years. Um, wow. and that was, so again, you know, that, that was again, a big learning lesson. Like if you want to, if you, if you want a job, go get it, right? Like, yeah. you know, don't just aimlessly scroll through job boards and stuff, right? Reach right. out to people ahead Put of time. Put yourself out there. Put yourself out there. Make yourself vulnerable. And then sometimes it pays off. And honestly, 95% of the time, maybe it won't, right? That's just, that's just the way it goes. But uh, whenever I started working there, I had uh, four teams under my, uh, under my coaching, uh, cross-country, fencing, and then men's and women's swimming and diving. So very new sports to me. So I remember, yeah. uh, and again, targeted to the younger coaches, whenever I got the job, uh, I was back in Pittsburgh and this was between Michigan and starting at Northwestern. I was back in Pittsburgh and I remember my parents being like, do you know anything about fencing at all? I was like, no, <laughs> no. Like I watched Mask of Zorro before and that's about <laughs> all I know about fencing, right? Three Musketeers. But, yeah. So I went out to, uh, I actually emailed the Pittsburgh Fencing Club and went out and spent a few days there. I would drive in and right. be like, hey, like what, what is this? Right? Like, you know, talk to me about your sport. Talk the about swords the hurt? I mean. Yeah. Right? So, and I remember they, they gave me a, uh, I think it was a foil, right? So there's actually three different weapons in fencing, three different styles. And so they gave me a foil and there was an X on the wall in tape. And they were like, try to hit that X. And so I just missed so bad. And I'm like, like how, how did I not hit that X, right? And so they start taking me through the technique, right? The, okay, the footwork, the lunge step and how you actually kind of have to go like high to low and kind of reach for it like that. And so I'm like, okay, Okay, yeah, this is really good to know before I start this job. <laughs> I don't look like such an idiot. Um, so yeah, that, that was it was a really good uh, two years at Northwestern. The, the last year, I was actually able to take over wrestling as well uh, and help them because we had a coach wow. leave, uh, and we didn't we didn't fill that position for maybe two or three months after he left. So I was able to do wrestling for that season, which was a blast. So it was a really good yeah. wrestling program at the time. So again crash courses all around, right? Thrown into the fire of kind of, okay, you've been working with this team for a year and a half now. Now it's your team. Take it over, right? The programs, implement the programs, figure it out. So it was good. It was an amazing experience. That sounds amazing. That sounds amazing. I mean, all, and, and for, for mentioning, you know, although, although you have, um, although you've been to a lot of top programs, you know, just want to go back to what we said before in terms of the advice, you don't need to chase logos, right? If, if you no. allow the, uh, the chips to fall where they may, um, you may end up in one, right? That's just so what happened with you, you, you put yourself out there, you were adamant on these, um, you know, on these experiences and, and it paid off and you were qualified, you were motivated, <clears throat> and luck also plays a big part in landing yeah. positions, right? Um, I mean, if I emailed 10 schools and only one actually had a position that was opening up soon, that's lucky. <laughs> that's, that's definitely lucky. So, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, that, that part was good. And I remember one, one of the most vivid memories from Northwestern as far as learning experiences go 
was my first year uh, review with my graduate supervisor. I thought I was doing a great job. Like, and it was uh, Mike Schwager, and he's the man. I mean, he and I still talk a lot to this day. But I remember I thought I was doing a great job. I go in there for my annual review, and I got torn apart. <laughs> I just got shredded with advice to the point where I was kind of like, where did you come up with that? Right. <laughs> like I, I just, it, it didn't, it didn't blend together with what I thought of my role and how it looked to other people or, or how my role could actually, uh, how I was doing as a full-time coach. Right. I was being a really good graduate assistant, but with four teams uh, that I was in charge of, I should have been behaving as a full-time coach. And that, and that was their thing. So I was, they were holding me to a very high standard. And I also think they knew that uh, if they gave me a review like that, it would light a little bit of a fire under my butt, right? Yeah. And I remember I actually went into the director's office after that review, and I was like, hey, like, what is this? Like, I, you know, item one through 10 don't make any sense to me, right? And I remember he looked at me, he was like, all right, well, you can sit in my chair and complain and look like a sad little puppy dog, or you can do something about it and be better. I was like, well, that's all you need to tell me. <laughs> so, <laughs> it, was, it was, uh, I mean, like, and like, again, put yourself in positions to fail, right? Most of the time you are going to fail, but you better learn something from it. Right. And I remember that that review was a huge wake up call. It was a huge, uh, smack in the butt of like, Hey, get, get going. Sure. Right? You can be better. You can do better. So do it. So what was one thing you think you, you improved in? Or what was one thing that maybe you thought, obviously you, you came to understand almost all the criticism that they were giving you, but what mm-hmm. was one thing that you maybe stood out to you were like, okay, well, yeah, I can do that better. I think uh, being more professional as a young coach uh, in the sense of you don't, it's good to be friendly with your athletes, but you don't have to be friends with them. Does that make sense? Right. There's a huge difference there. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think that I was 24, 25, those first couple, uh, or that first year at Northwestern and obviously young, like I'm coaching athletes two years younger than me. Right. So, you know, three years younger than me. So turning down party invitations, (laughs) (laughs) right. It's like, Oh yeah. You don't understand. I can't tonight, pal, you know, being out in in Wrigleyville and seeing an athlete and then just beelining it to a different place. (laughs) (laughs) You just like start sprinting. Yeah. So, uh, but, but that was one of the things of of being uh, a lot more professional on the floor and being friendly and cordial with athletes and relating to them and having those conversations, but also saying, okay, we have a job to get done today, right? Like, you know, and not being a disciplinarian or, or, you know, a military like atmosphere like that, but just knowing where to draw that line and be able to get the job done in a more efficient way by doing that. Yeah. Um, that's perfect. Um, one thing that, that stood out when I was reading about your uh, graduate assistantship, but your thesis stood out to me, obviously you're, you're football, football yeah. player, primarily when, when you grew up playing um, and your thesis, saving American football from the ground up, um, you know, dis, you, you were discussing policies in, in youth league, NFL, football in general, in terms mm-hmm. of what measures can be done. Um, and I'm kind of, paraphrasing that title but uh, I love that I thought that was really interesting seeing that you were you were you know obtaining this degree you're on the Olympic side for the past two years right or or, or past year and a half from Michigan and to Northwestern yeah. 
but somehow you were still kind of returning to your roots in terms of that. Obviously that was an issue big enough for you to write a thesis about or, or sure. dive into. Um, I'm really curious. I just want to hear a little bit about that because obviously concussions are, you know, they're big, they're, they're significant um, injuries and, you know, neck and neck with ACLs. I feel like in terms of just um, occurrences and sidelining and just, the significance of both injuries. What, what, what compelled you to write your thesis about that? Honestly, I, I mean, football is hands down my favorite sport and, you know, no offense to all the other sports that I've coached throughout my career, but uh, it's just what I grew up on. Right. And so I, I got passionate about it because around that time was obviously CT has been a big topic of conversation, right? But around that time, for some reason, there are a lot of conversations about, quote unquote, the future of American football, right? Will it be around in four to five years? And so I got very interested in that because, again, the master's in sports administration was much more policy focused. It was much more administrative focused. So I wanted to look into what the NFL was doing in order to ensure the future of the league in the sport in general. And obviously the NFL isn't just 32 teams at the top of, you know, sports in America. It's, you know, NFL play 60 and NFL education. And it goes all the way down to, you know, six and seven year olds putting on the pads for the first time. Right. And so I wanted to look into what they were doing in order to ensure the future of American football and all the different policies uh, and, and, taking deep dives into the lawsuits from former players against the NFL and then how the NFL settled that and then how they fixed the policies, uh, how they're now taking better care of the retirement uh, and retired players throughout the rest of their life. So um, I, I thought it was a fascinating topic that was talked about on the surface of, you know, just talking about the dangers of CTE or just talking about, you know, lawsuit A against the NFL but I just was really interested in, okay, well, how's the NFL actually responding to this, right? What, what are they doing? Um, what's everyone saying about it? And then in my eyes, you know, how can it be done from a grassroots movement, right? Like actually educating the young coaches, the young athletes on how to properly tackle, on what to do, on how to actually uh, notice or be aware of a concussion, even if it's a small hit to the head, you know, you just got your bell rung. That's a, that's a common term that we always heard in youth football, but you know, with, with modern day science, a little bit of research into that, you know, that, okay, it's not just a bell ringing, right? Like that could actually be something very serious to yeah. keep your eye out for that. So it was, it was a fun project to work on. I actually typed like 30 pages over the required page count. So yeah. <laughs> I, was, I went down some rabbit holes on that, but it was a lot of fun. That's yeah. I mean, that's cool. That's perfect. And I'm sure, I'm sure while you were obtaining this um, administrative degree and obviously you were focusing on the policies your brain as a strength conditioning coach, I'm sure the gears were turning in terms of, okay, well, policy is great, and, and, but preventative measures and, and ways to mitigate those obviously go hand in hand with the policy. So while you were maybe thinking in terms of training or what can coaches even, football coaches, not just strength conditioning coaches or trainers, what do you think can be done um, physiologically speaking, training wise, teaching the kids, obviously tackling and whatnot, but exercises is training the neck at a young age, a viable option. Do you think, I mean, what, what can they do aside from looking at policy? Yeah. Uh, and 
Honestly, I think uh, during that thesis as a young coach, it kind of just made the wheels spin and made you realize, like, okay, there's always a better way, right? <laughs> that, you know, that kind of broad statement, like, okay, this has been going on for so long and we always hear like, oh, we do this because we've always done it, right? But then you think, you're like, okay, there's got to be a better way, right? So that's, that's kind of where I started thinking. And, you know, I think training-wise, I think honestly being very smart about – how early in a child's life you're exposing them to full contact. Um, you know, you could even look at the rugby model over in New Zealand. Uh, they only played touch up until a certain point, right? So I think that that is a viable option. I think that uh, from that end, you know, does a 10-year-old or 11-year-old really have to put on full pads and crack another 10 or 11-year-old for eight weeks in a row in the fall? Yeah. You know, can, can we get the same, you know, exposure of the sport and education of the sport out of flag or out of touch, right, or something along those lines? You know, uh, I think from the training standpoint, uh, you know, a stronger neck is not going to prevent a concussion, right? Concussions are going to happen, right? I think a stronger neck could help uh, maybe with force absorption of said hit, Right. So again, I think that that's definitely part of it. I think that that definitely holds some ground in, in a young athlete's training protocol. I also think going back to the example of touch is that a lot of times uh, concussions happen from an unseen hit, right, or, or from a you know a hit coming not directly in front of you, right. So have athletes having better awareness of the game and, and better spatial awareness of what's happening around them. Uh, I think that's the biggest difference between football and rugby, where rugby, everything's happening. You can see everything, right? It's two teams in lines, right? And so if I'm running, I'm looking backwards, right? Or I, I'm at, sorry, I'm looking in front to catch the ball because you have to toss it backwards. So the ball is coming from the front and then all of my defenders are coming in the front. However, in football, all of my defenders are in front, but the ball is coming from behind. Right. So it's a huge difference in spatial awareness and, and actually knowing where you're at uh, uh, on the field. So I, I think with that, I think better education of the sport and better knowledge of the game and, you know, where people are going to be coming from and knowing that ahead of time and having better awareness of the people around you and better spatial awareness. I think that could be a huge benefit for athletes, specifically in football. Um, and, you know, we're talking about concussions, but an interesting topic that we're that the profession is kind of bringing up now of non-contact ACL injuries and how a lot of those non-contact, there's actually somebody in the area about one to two meters away. So it may be non-contact, but it has to do with an outside reaction or an sort outside force right. due to lack of spatial awareness, right? You know, in that reactive ability. So, yeah, I, I think, again, I think the best thing that you can do to uh, prevent concussions is be smart of how much impact you're exposing them to uh, and tackle education, right? Tackle, tackling technique education, right? Again, the rugby tackle is a different tackle than football. In rugby, they're taught head behind, wrap, and pull. In football, we are taught head in front to stop the momentum and drive through. Two totally different techniques, right? Very, so, much, very much so. Is there room for a, a rugby-style tackle in football, right? You know, I think if you're good at it, right? That's, I think, one of the things that the old school coaches got right was wrap up and pull down, right? Nowadays, how many times do you see a football player lower their head 
dive at the legs, tuck the shoulder. <laughs> it's like, yeah. you know, there's something to the concept of being able to wrap someone and pull them to the ground. Yeah. That could be very beneficial when it comes to that. So, and again, I am no concussion expert. That's just sure. my, that's my opinion. Yep. Um, I think the biggest thing is, is education, technical education, um, and then spatial awareness on the field, knowing where people are around you uh, and having a better education of the game in general. Yeah. I mean, none of us are concussion experts, right? Um, well, I mean, some people are, but um, yeah. immediately me and my, myself or, or many other strength conditioning coaches aren't. Uh, but a concussion, you know, our job is to look at that needs analysis or look at, you know, the sports that w- the injuries we see happening more and more in our sports and we just have to mitigate those. So anytime yeah. we can maybe talk about that, uh, it's an always opportune moment. I'm going to take that. Um, that's cool. I mean, I think that's really I would think that was super intriguing that you did that, uh, your thesis on that. Um, after that, so wrapping up Northwestern, GA done, right? You take your talents to UMD, University of Maryland, yeah. right? And you were, you were, yeah, I mean, you, you can go ahead. You were the assistant or assistant sports performance, assistant strength conditioning? Yep. So, um, so actually, I, I actually finished my thesis while at Maryland. I, uh, oh, I see. I had one quarter left at Northwestern whenever Maryland offered me the job. And I, I knew that, but what I did was I structured my graduate program where for that last quarter, I would only have my thesis to do, which I knew I could do remotely. So I was able to kind of get the best out of both worlds there. Uh, but obviously balancing my first full-time job with writing a thesis sucked, but <laughs> you know, you get it done, you yeah. do it. So, um, but yeah, Maryland was Again, you talk about thrown into the fire. I feel like now that we're talking about every single step along the way, I kind of got thrown into the fire, you know, and in a very, very good way. Because at Maryland, one of, one of my main teams was women's volleyball, the indoor volleyball team. And with that, I traveled every single game with them. Uh, I was at every practice, running the warm-ups, the cool-downs for practice, helping out with injured players during practice, uh, diving into technology. That was the first kind of – real exposure to athlete monitoring that I had because we were using the vert uh, jump count monitors uh, with all of our athletes there. So, um, you know, kind of helping the coach structure a weekly practice based on jump volume and return to play protocols by using the vert and jump volume and and stuff like that. So uh, along with volleyball, I also had a a ton of teams. My first year I was uh, women's tennis and men's golf along with volleyball and then, so I was actually there for just shy of three years, about a little over two and a half. And at that time, I was the longest tenured strength coach on staff. Wow, so, a lot of turnover. I mean, when I first got there, Mike Zimborski, who's now at Notre Dame, right. uh, was the director there. And he was there forever. Right? He was there for like 15 years. You know, wow. he, he was bleeding Maryland. And um, yeah. he, he was awesome. He was a great boss to have when I first started. But like I said, he left in my first year. And then... It, it was a lot of turnover or a lot of turnover. So with that turnover came the ability to coach and pick up different teams as we kind of shuffled around, tried to find the best situation for everything. So I ended up also working with women's across women's gymnastics, helping out with wrestling, uh, helping out with softball for a little bit, even. Um, so there were a lot of teams in there that I was working with and it was a lot of fun. And like I said, when you get to, have, you know, in your first full-time job, pretty much program in some form or fashion for about seven teams. I mean, that's, that's really good, <laughs> you know, yeah. especially while with the volleyball team being so hands-on with 
practice structures and, and uh, periodize, periodizing the actual practices, not just the lifting, uh, travel protocols, right? How are we lifting on the road? What are we doing in hotel gyms, mobility sessions, post-travel, uh, travel nutrition protocols and working with the dietitian that we had there, Colleen, on how to actually, you know, structure the best pre, uh, pre-game nutrition programs or the pre- best pre-game meals while we're in Minnesota, Wisconsin. So that was a, that was a really good, really, really good experience. Um, that, uh, yeah, it was, I cherish that, that experience a lot because that was a lot of fun. Met some really good people, worked with some really great strength coaches there, uh, Got to build up quite a robust intern program as well that uh, Will Franco, who's still there, is, is helping run. And it was just phenomenal. You know, we were able to get some Skype calls with some prominent coaches to talk to the young coaches and build a education curriculum for those interns where they were given the presentations and reading different articles, books, listening to different podcasts. So that was, again, a very big crash course in this stuff. So it was a lot of fun. Yeah, we had... Um... And you, we have a mutual friend, and she was an intern while you were there, Jackie Gover. Yeah, yeah. So Jackie was Jackie played field hockey at Frostburg, and I was her strength conditioning coach, and then she was our intern. Yeah. And she had an amazing experience uh, with you all. I actually had her on, recorded an episode with her not too long ago too. So that was a good. That's talk. awesome. We, we mentioned you obviously, but um, <laughs> yeah, she was she was great. She was awesome. Great intern. Yeah. So, and then also the, the last, so after Mike left, just real quick, Yeah. the cool part about that experience too was uh, I kind of assumed the role of interim director. That's right, uh, that was my next question, yeah. Well, he was gone. And so, um, again, that was the, the administrative part, getting my master's in sports administration which a lot of people ask like oh why would you get it in that well that was one of the reasons why, That's I, why. I had a, yeah I had a much uh, better grasp of administrative duties I had a much better knowledge of the people I was talking to so if I, if I had to go talk to the director of the business office I could have a little more of an educated conversation with them which mm-hmm. which definitely helped out so um that that was that was a lot of fun being uh, in that role for about a year I bet. Yeah. I mean, you, you got to see just the immense responsibility that goes in to that role along with being responsible for teams. Yeah. Yep. Um, talk to me a little bit. How was it? Because, um, so I'm at, I'm at Campanero strength conditioning mm-hmm. in Maryland and we work with, um, with a handful of, uh, you know, Maryland lady Terps women's lacrosse mm-hmm. and obviously, you know, best program in the nation. Kathy Reese, uh, I mean, a legend of a coach yeah. and all those girls are great and immensely talented. What was it like working with um, such a, and, and don't get me wrong. I mean, volleyball, I mean, all pretty much every program you've worked with. Um, I don't know if you know, Christian, pretty good. Um, but, <laughs> <Yeah. all right. laughs> um, I mean, all these programs are incredible. What, when you're working with, athletes at that level in terms of their sport um, mm-hmm. how did you just make sure they were performing whether they were healthy there were there any were there any times where it's like look let's just not hurt these athletes and let's just if you know if it ain't broke don't fix it or were you still trying to implement some sort of program that you thought would still um, you know maybe improve their performance because sometimes when you have such mm-hmm. a great program you're like you know shit, I mean, I hope I don't hurt these kids. So you're trying to be like super cautious. How did you go about that? So, uh, 
I would say uh, with weight room programming specifically, uh, it was more directed towards injury prevention because of what you just said. We have a very talented team. We have a team that is built on speed and we're, we were already one of the fastest teams in the country, right? So obviously you want to enhance performance. Uh, but what I found was a lot of the weight room programming uh, and, and lacrosse was always tricky because, you know, it was 36 girls at once in the weight room, right? So it was always an interesting setup and an interesting flow through those programs. Um, but, you know, my biggest focus was, okay, let's just keep these athletes healthy. Um, let's make sure that they're in good shape, right? That they can handle the workload that the sport requires because it's a lot of running. It's a very high distance sport. Women's lacrosse is a much more uh, open field and much more open space running than in men's lacrosse just because of the uh, decrease in contact, in actual physical contact and checking and everything. Um, but, you know, a kind of a point of vulnerability here on, on the podcast, I think that I came in there and try to do a little too much of my own stuff in the sense of I try to kind of make my mark on a program that already had more than enough good marks. <laughs> right? So I, um, and that was a wake up call. And that was actually something that I still think back to, uh, because again, you got to learn from everything that you do. And, uh, being out here with the beach program, there's several times where I've realized like, okay, think back to that lacrosse experience of having, you know, the best team in the country. Yeah. It, like you said, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right? You know, you don't always have to leave your mark, right? It's not about us at all. Right. So I think a point of vulnerability here would be uh, I think I try to do a little too much. Right. And I think that uh, that that helped me kind of look back and start to educate myself a lot more on, OK, right. Uh, what are some actual ways to increase speed and agility on the field? Right. And, and actually sports specific. Right. Because it may not be the textbook strength and conditioning, you know, these intervals at this distance and, you know, this regimented format of conditioning. It could be like, hey. Uh, let's play like a small side game, right? Or let's play tag or let's play these different sports to actually uh, actually be able to increase, you know, their ability to play man up defense, uh, you know, and pass off to another defender and then be able to make switches on screens and whatnot. So uh, I'm kind of thinking back through my head right now, actually, but I would say that the biggest, biggest lesson there was uh, learn from the coaching staff because they were all hall of fame coaches, right? Hall of fame players and coaches, right? So take advantage of that. Learn from the players because no matter what, those players knew more about women's lacrosse than I did. Right? So, you know, learn about their position, <laughs> learn about how they play the game, how they see the game, right? You know, their movements and how they feel uh, and then react off of that, right? Don't, don't, don't think you ever know the most in the room because you most likely don't because they've been doing that for their entire lives. So, um, that was a hell of an experience. We made it to the final four. I remember lost to Boston college in the final four, but won the big 10 regular season and then the conference championship, which was a super cool experience. Uh, worked with a lot of great athletes. I mean, that team was a lot of fun to be with. Yeah. Uh, and then, um, yeah, and obviously the coaching staff. So, but again, that was, that was a heck of a learning experience because it's such an elite program. Uh, and, and, you know, again, I think I tried to leave a little too much of my own mark on that rather than, you know, meshing into their program at the time. So, yeah. So, I mean, <clears throat> almost every step of the way of your strength conditioning journey, if you will, you've, you've been training the pinnacle level athlete. If we're talking division one, all high level, right? I'm sure you would have always 
Brandon is someone who could be playing at the national level. And mm-hmm. now <clears throat> you just so happen to be at the national level, right? At yeah. uh, USA, you know, beach volleyball, which, which is incredible. Um, really cool that you were able to work with volleyball at Maryland. And then um, obviously a sport you truly enjoy working with. Uh, and now you have this opportunity. How's, how's it going now uh, at the position you're in? It's been amazing, man. It's, it's, uh, it's the closest thing to a dream job that I've had so far, honestly. And uh, just based on the challenges uh, of it, as far as, you know, challenging me as a coach to be, uh, if I'm training the best in the world, then I have to act like the best in the world, right? So, you know, holding myself to a very high standard. Um, obviously being able to travel, being in Southern California, being on the beach, you know, know, probably four or five mornings a week. Uh, you know, it's hard to complain about that. So I would say, you know, it's the, it's the closest thing to a dream job that I've had yet. And it's just been an absolute blast. This sounds like a great environment. sounds like you've brought, um, just, I mean, you're, this is just the person you are a pretty, pretty positive, pretty positive, energetic person as well when it comes to your, your profession, your athletes, how have you brought that, um, into the culture and not saying that it wasn't like that before, but how did you, how did everyone respond to you kind of bringing your own little positivity into the, into their environment? Uh, I think a lot of people thought it was refreshing. And then some people are like, who the hell is this guy? <laughs> right? Cause you know, I think, I think naturally, you know, the culture of beach volleyball is, it's very Southern California, you know, it's very chill, very chill. Right, very relaxed, and, and but again, I mean, during the two hours of practice, they're obviously getting after it, right? But uh, you know, I came in uh, guns a blazing, for lack of a better term, right? Where I, you know, I, I'm not a yelling, screaming type of coach, but I love the music loud, I love the positive energy, you know, saying hi to every single athlete that walks in, bouncing around from athlete to athlete on the floor. Um, you know, uh, when I first started going to the beaches for practice, you know, I would have a backpack full of equipment. I would go run a warm up for a team at eight, and then I would ride my longboard down the strand to another practice, and I would go there, and then I would ride back to that first practice for a cool down, and then back to the second practice. So I was I was bouncing around, and I, I just had so much energy and so much joy for what I was doing that yeah. I was just I was a ball of fire, dude, and it was so much fun. Uh, and still, still am like that. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, but I think right off the bat, my my goal was to provide the most positive, uh, most welcoming, elite training environment I could possibly provide. Right. Uh, so good programs aside, warm ups, conditionings aside, it was you know I'm always going to have high energy. I'm always going to you know greet you with a smile. I'm going to be music's up in the weight room, bouncing around, you know, yelling, hollering, having the athletic trainer come in and say, Hey, can you quiet down a little bit? I'm trying to treat you. <laughs> yeah. Right. So like, you know, that, that's, that's been the, the environment that I've tried to create from day one. So it's been a lot of fun like that. That's awesome. I'm super happy for you. I'm sure, I'm sure obviously they're all, they're all enjoying your company. Um, yeah, let, let me, let me ask you about the, the, it's, it's obvious the difference between the volleyball surfaces right in in college versus you know playing playing on sand um, and this is just because I'm really curious in terms of how you are tackling obviously they are elite athletes they're powerful um, you know they under they understand they may not understand but they they know how to utilize that amortization phase how how are you challenge how are you basically tackling the challenge of the difficulty of reapplying force in a sand versus, mm-hmm. you know, 
an actual court. What, are there any differences yeah. you've seen? Oh, there's a ton. So uh, luckily, there's also a lot of research on it, which is good. Jeremy Shepard did a couple uh, articles about the force plate metrics that he looks at that correlate best per gender to a max effort jump, jump height in sand athletes. So uh, obviously reading into that was, you know, step number one. Uh, but then also just kind of the understanding of the difference in the, in the human body and how it can approach that. Uh, whereas on hard court or on land in general, you know, it, you can be more tendon dominant, right? You can be a little uh, more elastic. You can be a little more bouncy for lack of a better term, right? Um, you know, you see an indoor volleyball player or an indoor basketball player where they can just kind of pop, you know, they don't really have to load, right? They can kind of just bounce right off the floor, right? Another big difference with volleyball specifically is on indoor, most of the time, if they get a full approach, they're jumping very horizontally, right? So, you know, you could be an outside hitter and maybe you're jumping from six to seven feet off the net to contact, but you can't do that on sand, right? You have to be very vertical. And then also it's a much more muscle-driven sport. Um, so, uh, again, you can't be very bouncy. So a lot of it is that full load, full go, right? Now, that doesn't mean that you have to be slow with that, right? It's still a very fast twitch movement, but it's definitely a lot more muscle-driven than tendon-driven or, or elasticity-driven. Uh, and kind of what we found, we did a little bit of dynamic strength index testing with, with some athletes, and uh, that's the uh, peak force for counter movement jump and then peak force for an iso mid thigh pull put it together with a ratio uh and you kind of get this range of 0.6 to 0.8 is the happy range right and then if you go below that you're a little more uh, strength driven above that you're a little more ballistic driven right so a little more of a you know the elastic athlete yeah. and what we found with a lot of our athletes was that they were actually smack dab in the middle and our thought was okay well this makes sense. It's a, it's a very explosive sport. It's a very plyometric based sport, but on a surface that requires you to be very force driven, right? Not elastic driven or not ballistic driven. So a lot of our veteran players that we had that we put that test through, you know, they were right at a 0.67, a 0.71, a 0.73. So it was kind of like, Oh, well they're smack dab in the middle of that. So it was wow. kind of cool to see that where, you know, we're dealing with athletes that already have a good, uh, balanced model uh, and, and a balanced way that they're putting their body through these tasks because they've done it on the sand for so long. Um, and then when it comes to training, my biggest thing is, you know, when we get to a certain point, if we start playing tournaments in March, um, in December, or January, we're going to get on the sand, right? Our conditioning is going to go from, you know, maybe the treadmill, the bike, the sled, the rower, the indoor implements to, hey, if it's nice enough, get on the sand, right? Do your conditioning post-practice. You got to be out there. You got to get your sand legs back because you can't replicate that, right? You, can, you can't replicate that at all, you know. Uh, unfortunately, California just shut down all the beaches, but even during the quarantine, it was like, oh, hey, uh, Hermosa Beach is closed, but you can go down to Long Beach or Huntington Beach and go get a workout in down there, right? Just stay on the sand, right? So um, try, just trying to capitalize on that and, yeah. and making sure that uh, we're, we're replicating that surface as best as we can uh, and getting those muscles and the joints ready to go for, for that type of activity. That's cool. That's awesome. Um, uh, you Using research, technology, everything to your advantage. Um, in terms of in terms of programming, is there a specific um, <clears throat> form of periodization training parameter that you that you're 
you know, you, you enjoy using or, or you just kind of whatever works, which seems to be where our field is heading more so principle based, whatever works for, for that athlete, so on and so forth. Yeah. So I would say the biggest benefit of this new role uh, in having obviously a lower number of athletes than a college strength and conditioning coach is that you can be a lot more individualized with your programming. So uh, it's whatever works for that athlete. But with that said, you know, we usually right from the off season, I mean, we, we can kind of dive into it, right? At the start of the off season, we're going through a very general prep face, right? I mean, it's, it's very basic programming, getting them back. Now, the thing that we have to focus on there is almost all of our athletes have issues here and there, right? Because they're, they're the highest level of beach volleyball in the world. They play all year long. Um, you know, I train an athlete that's 44 years old, right? So he's, uh, he has some chronic uh, issues at 38 year old who has some chronic issues and that's very normal, right? So right at the start, Oh yeah. Uh, way longer and much more individualized based on what they know their body needs. But when it comes to the programming, you know, that first step is trying to get them to feel good again after a very long year. Right. So, you know, when I say general prep, I'm not talking about getting them back into this, you know, high volume and crazy conditioning and circuits. It's no, let's, let's make that knee feel better again. Okay. How are we going to do that? Right. Okay. That ankle, let's, let's get that ankle to feel better again. How are we going to do that? And then going down that road, uh, the one thing that we've done a lot of this past year, which has worked pretty well, was uh, at the start of the off season, one of my goals was to get the tendon integrity back into their lower body. And, uh, and obviously, shoulder health is a different topic, but knees and ankles specifically. So we spent a lot of time, probably the first, I mean, we're still doing it now during the quarantine, but uh, one of the biggest plyometrics that we implemented were some rudiment hop series where we're working on ankle stiffness and getting the integrity of that Achilles tendon back because they went through such a long year of being very muscle driven, where a tendon can lose a lot of its strength if it's not exposed to that you know, heavy loading or elastic loading that it's supposed to handle. So we would do a lot of, uh, you know, double leg forward, backward, single leg forward, backward, double leg lateral hops, single leg lateral hops, uh, working on stiffness, but not very, you know, high output, right? I don't care about height. I just want rhythm and stiffness. Uh, And then we got into a very long-term isometric phase as well. That was another thing that we implemented. Uh, Iso lunge holds for a minute a minute and a half at a time, um, wall sit series, double leg, single leg wall sits, uh, with a couple athletes, we actually would progress those, uh, long-term isometrics to the vertimax. So there was actually a little more external resistance on that. So we kind of tried to build, uh, the most resilient joints that we possibly could, uh, through isometric training, um, through extensive submaximal plyometrics before we would get back into our, what you would think of more sports performance training, our bigger movements, our multi-joint movements. Um, and then another thing that we tried, knowing that uh, a lot of the movements on sand for the sport are single leg driven, right? Besides that one jump, right, for a blocker or if you're coming on offense uh, on an approach. And even on an approach, sometimes your feet are staggered a little bit, right? They're never, you know, perfectly bilateral. Uh, so we did a huge single leg to bilateral progression, actually. So, you know, the first um, early in the off season, every single main movement was a unilateral movement. Uh, lateral squat, a single leg splits or a rear foot elevated split squat, a single leg RDL with a barbell, 
um, different split stance work. We tried to keep them out of bilateral because that's what they're most used to, right? The bilateral squat, the bilateral RDL, they've been doing that for a while. So we tried to switch that up on them. And then when we hit the January time period, where we're kind of in our, you know, actual competition prep phase, that's when we switched back to the bilateral movement to really work on, you know, peak power output, max velocity work, uh, and kind of more of the, the traditional sports performance training. Gotcha, man. Thanks. Thanks for telling me all of that. <laughs> yeah, that was, sorry. That was a rabbit hole. Uh, no, no, no. That's, I mean, that's what I really want to hear. You didn't, you didn't, you didn't have to, to give me all of your secrets. No, no. <laughs> um, no secrets at all. I mean, you can, yeah, you can I, look up I, the bilateral approach by Cam Johnson <laughs> published on Simply Faster. And I mean, you can find it right there. I, I just, I felt captivated by that. It, it made sense to me. So I wanted to try it out. Um, and then another thing that we utilize a lot are tendos uh, to monitor speed and track progress and also use that as kind of fatigue measure. So, um, yeah, just yeah. a few things that we're doing out here. Yeah, shout out Simply Faster, an awesome resource. Um, yeah, and uh, the, uh, the long-term isometrics, actually, I spent some time on the phone with Joel Smith uh, from oh, cool. and Wow talk to him about that and the actual proper way to implement it and what he saw, you know, his experience in the past and uh, the things that he thought went well and things that didn't go well uh, during his implementation of that type of stuff. So that was a really fascinating experience as well. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, I would hope anyone, cause you know, everyone's doing their, their home workouts here and I would hope everyone who are uh, everyone who is doing a home workout rather is doing some sort of long duration ISO stuff. Um, Christian, you're the man. We're going to wrap up here. I just have some cool. random, random questions. Yeah. Um, so every, every strength coach, every you know, trainer, anyone who has the excitement of creating their own gym mm -hmm. um, is, is, is looking up equipment that they dream of having, right? This is, yeah. I just like, I just like knowing um, you're, you're designing your own facility. And I don't know if you did um, at any point <laughs> you, you did already, but you have three, uh, three pieces of equipment in your weight room that you absolutely can't do without what, what would those three be? Do you think? Hmm. I would go, I text this ahead of time. So I've been thinking about it. Um, <laughs> you know, and I, I don't know if I can bring this together as one piece, but uh, a hex bar with a full set of plates, if that can be considered one, piece, <laughs> well, that's one. Um, but I, uh, I, I much prefer the hex bar. Um, obviously I love the barbell work. We do a ton of barbell work. It's very beneficial. Uh, but again, you told me three pieces, so I'm giving you three pieces. <laughs> um, uh, and I think, uh, the second piece would be, uh, some mid range weight kettlebell, uh, that you could use for swings, goblet squats, RDLs, obviously presses, overhead presses, rows, uh, I think that they're so such a diverse piece of equipment mm -hmm. uh, that can go a little farther than a dumbbell just based on its design. Um, so, you know, maybe a, a 16 kilo or a 24 kilo kettlebell somewhere in that range. Um, and then my third piece of equipment, and this is probably which uh, will throw a curveball at you is a spike ball set. Oh, okay. So that it, is definitely, it, I thought you were going to say it, shake it, weight. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't shake gone, weight, I haven't gone sponsor down, me shake weight please sponsor me i haven't gone too far down that rabbit hole just yet but <laughs> no spike ball so i was actually this is another thing i was talking to joel smith about it's something that i started keeping in our weight room 
uh, and letting athletes play it whenever they wanted. And, and there was actually a point there in the early off season where I was programming it into their warm up, and I would say, "Okay, part of your warm up is a game to five with coach," and I would play them in a game to five. And what I realized about that, and I even took it out to the beach for pre practice warm ups, right? Because we always want to be very structured with a warm up, right? So we go from this very structured activity where everything is laid out, you know, which is a good thing, right? I'm not faulting that. But then we go into a very unstructured sport, right? Which is, you know, it's reactive. There's things happening. You have to read. You have to, you know, use your vision and use your, your spatial awareness and everything. So I was like, you know what? I talked to this guy, Michael Bingaman at US Ski and Snowboard, where he said once a week, they just play games, right? They go into the gymnastics area and they just play games. Because right? it's like, yeah, at some point in time, you, you should get out of that regimented uh, focus in that program and let these athletes play. And even the, the elite of elite will benefit from, one, an increased heart rate because you're playing, two, an, a change in their mindset where it goes from, okay, I have these four exercises to do three rounds to, okay, I want to win, right? Like I, I'm competing. Yeah. There's, there has not ever been an athlete that would be okay losing to their strength coach in an activity, right? Ever. Unless it's just like a max effort squat. They're just like, yeah, well, that's, that's your job, dude. Right. But, and so th that would be the last piece. Cause again, it gets the hand eye going, gets those reactive components of the body going. It gets them out of a traditional movement, right? They have to make reactive movements that are going to be kind of unnatural for them. It, it triggers that competitive mindset where they really just want to win, which is a good preface to them going into their actual sport practice. And then obviously it gets the heart rate up. So, and it's just fun, right? Make it fun. So even with the, you know, most elite athletes, we've used spike ball for warmups and, you know, loser has to run to the water and back and then now we can start practice. So <laughs> we've done awesome. a lot of that. So yeah, it would be a hex bar, a full plate set, a mid range kettlebell and a spike ball set. That definitely was a curveball. I didn't, I didn't think you were going to yeah. say that. <laughs> that's uh yeah i mean that's that makes it that makes a ton of sense and and we work with obviously younger kids too and i think hopefully when when this all ends quarantine wise we'll, we'll have a little bit more play in there we play some games but but we've been wanting a, a spike ball set as a matter of fact um yeah, shout out spike ball, sponsor me spike ball <laughs> spike ball sponsor uh, and actually we uh uh last year on on the tour we were in germany switzerland and tokyo and we would travel with a football and i, I would bring it in the warm-up bag you know mini band shoulder bands and then a football and we would always use that to one is hey pretty good shoulder warm-up right but but also it's just fun right so kind of lighten the mood you know if athletes were a little uh nervous for a competition right we could kind of you know just whip the football around and just toss it back and forth and it was kind of cool being international doing it because you know i had this german guy that was working the event that came up and go went uh, can you can you teach me how to throw? I was like, yeah, dude, come on. <laughs> so like, hey, can I play? What are you guys playing? <laughs> yeah, and then you know some other international players were like, hey, you know, throw it over here. So it was it was good for again the warm up. You can say hand eye, you can say shoulder warm up, but it's kind of good just to change it up and add that little bit of a lighter, fun component to stuff. That's cool, man. Yeah, um, Christian, I appreciate you. This was a lot Thanks. of fun. Man. Good. Yeah. I, I hope you did. I have no idea what I'm doing. Uh, I am not a broadcaster <laughs> by any means. I just figured. Uh, I just figured I can talk a lot, and it's time for me to just shut up and listen. You know. Yeah. Um, but I, man, I'm so happy for you. Um, 
I have no room to say I'm proud of you, but I am proud of you. <laughs> uh, you're doing an awesome job and no wonder, uh, you know, you're, you're welcome with open arms there. You're the man. We miss you here in Maryland. Come visit when this yeah. is Hopefully I can come visit. Can't wait to get back there. Honestly, man, <laughs> it's been too long since I visited home. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's do it again sometime. What do you say? Absolutely. Yeah, this was awesome. I appreciate it, buddy. And good job. I know you're just starting out, but this was good. <laughs> hey, hey, that's what I need. That's all I want to hear. <laughs> I like it. Uh, just a recap. Sponsor me, Spike Ball. Sponsor me, Shake Weight. Yeah, boom. Yeah, just those two. I think you got oh. that. Kind of <laughs> Christian, <laughs> thanks, man. I'll see you later. Stay safe. Sounds good, buddy. See ya.